Good morning, Yasanga. Today is the 27th of March in the year 2014, and we are in the still water meditation hall of the Upper Hamlet, Plumbridge. We are in the second week of the spring session. Many years ago, we had a retreat for children. And uh, during working meditation, we uh, proposed that they use the word um, instead of uh, using um, I have arrived, I'm home, they use the word uh, uh, oui, oui, merci, merci. Yes, yes, uh, thanks, thanks. I'm breathing in, I make, they make two steps, and they say, oui, oui. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, learn to say yes. Because many children also say, no, 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 no. <laughs> so I teach them to say the opposite. Because there are so many things uh, that we have to say yes to, like the sunshine, with mindfulness, you recognize that the sunshine is there. You say, yes, yes. And you feel thankful. There are so many things uh, that we should uh, say yes to. And if we have mindfulness, we will recognize them. And it's very natural that we can say yes to these things. we have the capacity to appreciate these things. We appreciate our body. We appreciate uh, the eyes, because we have eyes still in good uh, condition. We need only to open our eyes. And because our eyes are still in uh, good conditions, a paradise of forms and colors is available. Imagine we don't have eyes. There are, there are living beings who do not have eyes. Like the oysters that live um, Deep in the ocean, they don't have eyes. They never see the blue sky. They never see uh, the cloud. They never see the blue ocean. Imagine if you if you do not have eyes, how can you see the blue sky, the mountains, the trees, and the stars? So our eyes are something that we have to, to say yes to. Yes, yes. And the practice is the breathing in, I am aware of my eyes. And breathing out, I smile to my eyes. 
and feel grateful that I have eyes still in good condition. And when you contemplate your body, to contemplate means to have the time to look. You see that there are so many things in your body that you should appreciate. You have a heart that still functions normally. And that is a wonderful thing. Because some of us do not have such a heart. It can be subjected to a stroke, an attack at any time. So for those of us who do not have a normal heart, we live in fear. And our deepest desire is to a normal heart, like everyone else. So mindfulness allowed us to see that we have a heart that functions normally. And your mindfulness is directed to your heart. Breathing in, I'm aware of my heart. And suddenly I feel grateful to my heart. My heart functions, still functions normally. Breathing in, I'm aware of my heart. Breathing out, I feel grateful to my heart. Well, not only you have eyes in good condition, a heart that functions normally, but you have many other elements, other parts of your body still uh, in good conditions, your liver. Breathing in, I am aware of my liver. There are those who have a, a liver that uh, does not function well. And when you are aware of the liver, your liver that is uh, in good condition, you, are feel, you feel grateful. And you promise that you will eat and drink in such a way that will, that will not make your liver suffer. You do not drink alcohol. You do not eat a lot of fat. You do not uh, uh, ingest the kind of food and drink that make your liver suffer. And when you are aware of your liver, and if you know that liver begins to suffer, that awareness helps you to, to, uh, to live in such a way that will not make your liver suffer. Breathing in, I know that my liver suffers. Breathing out, I promise to eat, drink, and live in such a way that will that will help my liver to to restore. Even if you have, if you are if you are taking medicine for your liver, well, that kind of practice of mindfulness is very helpful. And in the Sutra of uh, the contemplation on the body, the Buddha told us how to 
how to recognize every part of our body and smile to it with compassion. The Buddha used a, uh, an example, a farmer who goes up to the ceiling and brings down a bag, a bag of uh, seeds. And he opens one end of the bag and allows all the seeds in the bag to flow on the floor. And with eyes in good condition, he recognizes different kinds of seeds. Seeds of uh, beans, uh, kidney beans, mung beans, all kinds of beans, seeds of mice, and so on. So the practitioner does exactly the same thing with his body. In a sitting position or in a lying position, he begins to breathe in and out and recognize uh, every part of his body, beginning with uh, uh, his uh, eyes and so on. Eyes, nose, tongue, ear, uh, brain, and then uh, throat and heart. So in hospitals, they have a scanner in order to, uh, to look at different parts of your body. And they use uh, rayon X, X-ray in order to, to scan the body. But in this practice, we use a, another kind of ray, uh, mindfulness. We use mindfulness in order to, to, to project light on every part of our body and you recognize them. Breathing in, I am aware of my eyes. And you, you have the time to look at your eyes to see how, the, how, in what condition your eyes are. You smile to it with compassion and with joy, with appreciation. I'm breathing in, I am aware of my eyes. Breathing out, I smile to my eyes. I appreciate my eyes. I feel thankful to my eyes. And that is the practice of mindfulness. And it can bring you uh, happiness. Because uh, mindfulness uh, recognizes the conditions of happiness that you do have. So it brings you happiness. And it can, uh, it can bring love. You smile with love, with compassion, because your body needs compassion. Maybe you have uh, mistreated your body for a long time. You have worked too hard. You have not had enough compassion to your body. You did not know how to take care of your body. So it's time to go back to your body and express your regret, express your love, and appreciate your body. And that is uh, part of the meditation on the body. Kaya sati, mindfulness of body. So using the ray of mindfulness, you go through your body, 
from the top of the your head to the to to the toes to the heels, and you may need uh, fifteen or twenty minutes to scan your body with the ray of mindfulness. It's best in the lying position. And during that time, you allow your body to relax. Your body has a chance to recover. And uh, you send the energy of uh, compassion, of love to every part of your body. They need it. When you come to a part of your body that is uh, that uh, that has uh, some pain, ailing, you have to stay longer. You have to use the energy of mindfulness in order to embrace that part of your body longer with compassion. The energy of mindfulness and the can carry the energy of compassion. Show your compassion to that part of your body, whether it is your heart or your lungs or your liver or your intestines. And that uh, energy of love uh, can help you. Don't count only on the medicines. And stay there longer with that part of your body that is healing, healing, and try to help us uh, help that uh, part of your body uh, recover and heal. If you are a, a leader of a corporation. If you have so many, so many employees in your corporation, you may like to organize a session of total relaxation every day for your employees. You may be the leader. You may lead the total relaxation if you know how to do it. You help uh, your employees to to relax to uh, take care of their body. And that is not a loss of time because if uh, your employees uh, have a better health, uh, they can produce better, they can take care of the worker better. If you are a school teacher, then it's, uh, it's perfectly possible for you to lead a session of total relaxation to your students because they have a lot of, uh, of tension and stress and suffering in their body also. So imagine teachers and students are practicing uh, total relaxation together, uh, sending the energy of love and mindfulness to their body. That is a very beautiful thing to do. And also, if you are parents, and if you know the practice, you can organize uh, 
a session of total relaxation in the living room for the whole family. And that is something good to do every day uh, in a civilized uh, <laughs> society these things are very good we advise that in every home there should be a corner or a room where we can we can sit down and breathe and listen to the bell a tiny meditation hall in every home. And that should be considered to be the territory of the Buddha. You use it only for the sake of restoring yourself. You can do sitting meditation, total relaxation in that place and listen to the bell. Every time you feel restless, every time you do not know what the right thing to do, every time you feel confused, every time you get irritated, you can begin to walk to that uh, tiny meditation hall that you can call the breathing room. Every step you make in mindfulness, in mindfulness, stop all the thinking, just uh, breathe in and make uh, one step, two steps, and breathe out until you arrive at the door of the breathing room and you open it mindfully. You step in mindfully and you close the door mindfully. That reminds me of the story of my uh, novice ship. One day my teacher uh, told me to do something for him. I was so eager to do it. <laughs> so I went out uh, uh, without uh, closing the door uh, uh, properly behind me. No mindfulness. So my teacher called me back. Novice, come back here. <laughs> and he said, My son, you have to do better. Go out and close your door. Close the door behind you mindfully. The way you novice uh, should do. So I said, yes. And I put all my... Uh, my uh, attention in uh, walking to the door and uh, I open the door, I step out, I close it very mindfully. And my teacher did not have to teach me a second time, I remember. When I visited uh, 
Thomas Merton in his monastery in Kentucky. I told him the story. He was so <laughs> happy to hear that. Because closing the door like that can calm you down, make you feel better. And uh, in a class, uh, in a lecture given to the monks in the Abbey of Gethsemane, uh, Thomas Merton told his, the other monks about uh, what I had told him about closing the door. It happens that a lady in Germany listened to that talk. And she, she was a Catholic. She is a Catholic practitioner. And she, she was very curious to see how uh, Tanya Khan closed the door, so she, she came to Plum Village with the intention to observe how they close the door. She spent a week in Plum Village and she liked it and she stayed for another week. Uh, we didn't know that she was observing us the way we closed the door. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, in Brahm Village we learn to do everything mindfully walking, sitting, closing the door uh, cooking and so on and uh, in a tea ceremony uh, uh, one day before she uh, left uh, she told us that she came because out of curiosity. She just wanted to come in order to observe how they close the door. <laughs> and uh, and uh, no, none of us knew that uh, she had been observing us. In that uh, tiny meditation hall, you have a few uh, cushions, three or two, three, four, four, and a bell. And every time you feel confused, undressed, irritated, you go to it slowly, you open the door the way <laughs> suggested. You close the door behind you, and you know that uh, inside is the territory of mindfulness. You bow to the door, to the bell, and you sit down, and you invite the bell to sound. And you breathe in and out three times after a sound of the bell. We have that verse that should be memorized uh, for the use of inviting the bell. There are four lines. And breathing in, 
you read one line silently. Breathe in out, you read another line. And after uh, having breathed in and out uh, with these four lines of the gata, uh, you begin to, to invite the bell. Body, speech, and mind in perfect oneness. You breathe in with that line. Body, speech, and mind in perfect oneness. I send my heart along with the sound of this bell. May all of you who listen to me awaken from your forgetfulness. Forgetfulness is the opposite of madness. May all of you awaken from forgetfulness and transcend the path of anxiety and sorrow. So breathing in and out two times with the gata make you calm and now you you can invite the bell to sound. We say inviting the bell not uh, striking the bell or hitting the bell. Because the bell is a kind of bodhisattva help us to come home to ourselves and stay in an awakened uh, uh, situation, state of mind. And then you make a half, half sound like this. That is a half sound. That is not a full sound. That is to warn people that there will be a full sound coming very soon. After the half sound, you should allow time for people to prepare themselves for the reception of the full sound. Time enough for people to take one in-breath and one out-breath. It's about seven or eight uh, seconds. How do you prepare in order to receive the full sound? You stop the thinking, you stop the talking, you begin to breathe in mindfully and you relax your body. And the bellmaster should allow enough time for people to prepare themselves to receive the full sound. Therefore, after the half sound, he or she allowed about 8 seconds or 10 seconds. And then he invites the bell to sound. And after hearing the full sound, everyone practice mindful breathing in and out three times. <coughs> and we may use uh, the two-line verse to breathe. <coughs> I listen, I listen. 
this wonderful sound brings me back to my true home. And we breathe in such a way that make um, peace and joy possible. We need to have some kind of uh, insight in order to succeed in our breathing. So breathing in and out is not uh, something you do, but something you enjoy. It's not uh, practice, it's not hard labor. Breathing in, you focus your attention on your in-breath, and you are aware that you are breathing in. And even if uh, the in-breath lasts only three, four seconds, it is enough to bring you the insight, awareness that you are alive, that you have a body, that you are breathing in. Because someone who is already dead does not breathe in anymore. And you are breathing in. That is a wonder. That is a miracle. So why breathing in, you touch that kind of truth that you are a living body, that you are breathing in. That there is no problem with your lungs and the air is clean enough for you to breathe in. And that kind of uh, insight can bring joy. And you enjoy your in-breath. If while breathing in you suffer, that's not good. Life is already full of suffering. Why do we have to suffer more by the practice of meditation? So breathing in should be something pleasant. And you can do it relaxingly because breathing in is a wonderful thing to do. And you can generate the energy of peace, relaxation and joy during the time you breathe in. And that is something that all of us can do, even uh, children, with the awareness, with the insight that we are alive, that we have a, a, a body, that we are breathing in. Happiness is possible with breathing. And when you breathe out, you release the tension in your body. And you feel the same kind of happiness. Because you are not thinking anymore, you are not talking anymore. You just enjoy your breathing. And in a, in a sitting position, you, can, you may be relaxed. And if you spend three minutes, five minutes breathing in and out like that, you restore yourself. And that is why whenever you feel that you are confused, you don't know what to do, uh, 
go to that uh, breathing room, sit down and breathe, is the right thing to do. Even in your office. You can do that. Restore yourself. Restore your peace. And the practice is pleasant. And you appreciate your body. You appreciate the wonders of life that are around you. And with uh, mindful breathing, you can recognize the fact that you are very lucky. You have many conditions of happiness available. Many people in the world do not have these conditions of happiness that you do. This morning when I turned uh, on the tap water, as usual, I appreciate the water. And in the Buddhist tradition, you have uh, short poems called verse gata to practice. When you uh, when you when you open the water tap, you do it mindfully, like when you close the door. And as the water comes out, you are mindful of the water. Uh, the verse is like this, water come from high in the mountain, water come from deep in the in uh, in the soil in the earth and water come to me and I appreciate uh, this wonder and you can breathe in and out in order to appreciate water you say yes to water and when you say yes you are happy when you say no you are not happy but when you say yes, you are happy. You appreciate that those of us in the world who have to walk several kilometers in order to fetch water for cooking, for drinking. And therefore, uh, if, we, if we observe, if we are mindful, if we can touch the conditions of happiness that are available and then um, happiness and joy just come. A lot of time, every day. And that is why we say that mindfulness is a source of joy, a source of happiness. Because mindfulness allowed us to see positive things conditions of happiness that we can say yes and appreciate. In fact, we are very lucky, than, much luckier than many people in the world. And if we are not happy, that's because uh, we do not have uh, awareness, happiness. It's not the fault of the world. It's our own fault.
we are not happy, we are not aware of the conditions of happiness, of the lux we have. We don't complain anymore. We just enjoy, say yes to the positive things in us. When you invite the bell and you breathe like that, people in the, in the house know that you are practicing. Your little boy or your little girl may, may have learned uh, how to breathe with uh, the sound of the bell. And uh, children, they suffer also. And they should uh, learn how to suffer less. How to calm themselves down. And if parents, teachers know how to calm down their body and their feelings, they will tell the, the children to do. How to do. There are children who are capable of the practice. They... Uh, they decorate uh, the breathing room. They arrange in the breathing room. Uh, they arrange uh, flowers in the breathing room. And when they don't feel happy, they know how to go to the breathing room and uh, invite the bell to sound and they breathe. In fact, uh, we have program a practice for children. Uh, during the summer session, and many children go home and uh, and organize the practice, and they invite their parents to join them in the practice of sitting and listening to the bell. It recommend that every morning, um, before going to uh, the children going to school, adult going to work, we sit together for a few minutes, just listening to the bell and begin our day with mindfulness and relaxation. And in the evening, evening before the children go to sleep, uh, we can join them uh, in that uh, little uh, meditation hall, sit down and listen to the bell three times. Uh, and that, that, can be, that can become a, a habit, a good habit. And during the day, if uh, it happens that someone is undressed, unhappy, angry, he or she is expected to go to that room and restore himself or herself by the practice of uh, mindful uh, breathing and listening to the bell. And all these things are simple enough, and every home can, can have. Suppose you are cooking in the kitchen and you hear the sound of the bell and you know that your child is sitting there practicing breathing and listening to the bell. You feel proud of your child because he knows how to take care of himself when he is angry or unrest. And you are his mother. You are his uh, co-practitioner. 
you are cutting carrots. You are thinking of other things, but when you hear the bell, you stop thinking. You begin to cut your carrots mindfully because your child is practicing and you should be practicing also in the kitchen, mindful cooking. And you can do better. You stand up, you walk to the meditation hall, to the tiny breathing room, you open the door the way my teacher <laughs> recommended. You open, you close it behind you peacefully, and you sit down close to your child, and you join him to breathe. That's something very beautiful. It's a beautiful family, beautiful home, and thanks to the practice. You may have, you, you, you may spend thousands of dollars and euros and to buy a, a painting, decorating the house, but that is not as beautiful as the scenery where where, where uh, uh, a mother sitting down or a father sitting down and breathes his child. It's very beautiful. And all, that, all of that can be done easily. You don't need money or anything. When you park, uh, after you have parked uh, your car in a parking lot, you begin to walk to your workplace. And if you remember the practice in Plumlish, you do walking meditation, walking from the parking lot to your office. You walk in such a way that every step brings you uh, release the tension in yourself. You stop the thinking, you just enjoy walking, and you say yes to the morning, to the sky. Because there are things to say yes to also. You say yes to Mother Earth. Mother Earth is underneath. She is always there for you. She is a beautiful, the most beautiful Bodhisattva, very talented. And every step helps you to get in touch with uh, the beautiful mother of all, Mother Earth. And you can get in touch with the sky, the sunshine, the flowers, many things that you can appreciate. So walking like that uh, (coughs) to the place where you work, you restore yourself. You don't need extra time in order to practice meditation. And that is something everyone can do. So you teach uh, your child to say yes, to say thanks, and you practice the same thing. You say you learn to say yes to your body, to many things that are uh, wonderful, that have the power of nourishing and healing you. And thanks to mindfulness, you can recognize them. And that is the art of uh, happiness. Remember, 
Mindfulness is a source of happiness, a source of joy. And mindfulness is mindfulness of the of uh, the conditions of happiness. But mindfulness is also uh, mindfulness of uh, suffering, because suffering is a reality. That person has pain and sorrow and fear in himself, in herself. And you do have pain and suffering and fear and anger in yourself. Suffering is there. So mindfulness uh, can be, can have uh, suffering as its uh, object. Because mindfulness is always mindfulness of something. When you drink tea in mindfulness, that is mindfulness of drinking. When you walk mindfully, that is mindfulness of walking. When you cook breakfast, that is mindfulness of cooking. When you take care of your sorrow, of your pain, that is mindfulness of suffering. The anger, the pain, the sorrow that is coming up is a kind of energy. And it needs to be recognized. Not only you can recognize the conditions of happiness, but you can recognize also the suffering that is in you. You do not try to run away from suffering. You do not try to cover up the suffering with uh, consumption. You must be there for your suffering. Breathing in, I'm aware of the anger in me. Breathing in, I'm aware of the confusion in me. You have to be there, and the first thing you do with mindfulness is to recognize the pain. The ill-being in you. And if uh, you practice mindful breathing and mindful walking, you generate the energy of mindfulness. And the energy of mindfulness, uh, it is that energy of mindfulness that recognizes the pain in you. The loneliness, the feeling of loneliness, the feeling of uh, anger, the feeling of confusion and so on. So there are two energies at the same time. The energy of pain and the energy of mindfulness. Because you are a practitioner, that is why you don't allow the energy of pain to be alone. You have to be there for for yourself, for your pain. So you generate the energy of mindfulness, mindfulness of pain. And that is the seventh exercise of mindful breathing recommended by the Buddha. Aware of pain, of a painful feeling, of a painful emotion. 
you are a practitioner. Whenever there is a feeling, a painful feeling arising, whenever there is a painful emotion arising, you should be there for it. Don't try to run away. Don't try to pretend that it's not there. Practice mindful breathing, walking. Generate the energy of mindfulness and recognize it. Breathing in, I know there is a painful feeling in me. It's like a mother uh, uh, when uh, when the baby uh, suffers and cries. The mother has to be there for the baby. The mother does not pretend that uh, that the baby is not there. The suffering of the baby is not there. And the seven, the seven exercise is to be aware of the painful feeling. And the eight, uh, the eight uh, exercise is to calm down the feeling. So when uh, when the mother holds the baby tenderly in her arms, she is doing kind of uh, this exercise, seven exercise. You recognize the pain because you are a practitioner. You can generate the energy of mindfulness, mindfulness of pain. And you can embrace your pain. So one energy embracing another one. Mindfulness, holding pain. And the energy of mindfulness begins to penetrate into the energy of pain. Imagine the mother is holding the baby and she has that energy of tenderness, of love. And that energy begins to penetrate into the baby, and the baby feels better, and the baby might stop crying. So that same thing is, um, is true with our, <coughs> with our painful feeling. If you know how to recognize and embrace your painful feeling, with the practice of mindful breathing or walking, you calm the pain down and you suffer less after a few minutes. It is always possible to suffer less with mindfulness. So mindfulness not only creates joy and happiness, but mindfulness also helps you to suffer less. And calming a strong emotion, calming a feeling, a painful feeling is always possible. (coughs) Wherever you are, you can do that. And later on, there will be exercises that can help you to go further, not only to calm the pain, but to transform 
because trans- uh, the transformation of suffering is possible because suffering is impermanent happiness is impermanent but suffering is also impermanent so the practitioner knows how to generate joy and happiness by saying yes and appreciate the good things. But the good practitioner always know how to suffer less. The same suffering, but it is unbearable for other people, but for you who are practitioner, uh, you can suffer less with the same kind of suffering. And that is thanks to the practice of mindful breathing, recognizing and embracing the pain in yourself. And while while embracing your pain, you listen to it. If you continue to suffer because you have not listened to your suffering, you try to ignore you try to run away from it. Most of us do do that. Our suffering is not exactly caused by the other person. <coughs> our suffering may be born from our wrong perceptions. Our suffering may have been transmitted to us by our father, our mother, our ancestors. And many generations of ancestors. If mother does not know how to handle her suffering, she will transmit it to us. And if we encounter the Dharma, we know how to handle suffering, to transform suffering, and do not transmit it to our children. Otherwise, there will be samsara, continuation always of suffering. So when you are able to transform the suffering in you, you help your mother in you to heal, your father in you to heal. So the suffering in us carries within itself the suffering of our father, our mother, our ancestors. And we should learn how to, how to listen to that suffering. And listening to the suffering, we begin to understand the suffering. And if we keep trying to run away from our suffering, we have no chance to to understand our suffering. The first, uh, the first uh, noble truth is, uh, the, is the existence of suffering. Ill-being. Dukkha. The second noble truth is uh, the nature of ill-being, the cause of ill-being. 
nature of your being, the roots. So the first of all, you have to recognize the pain, the suffering, and we have to look deeply into the suffering. You hold your suffering like this and you have a deep look. Not only you you become aware of it, not only you calm down the suffering, but you have a chance to look deeply into your own suffering. Avalokiteshvara is a bodhisattva who has the power to listen to his own suffering. And uh, because he knows how to listen to his suffering, he came to understand the nature of his suffering, the roots of his suffering. And understanding brings compassion. And compassion can heal the suffering. In order to understand the suffering of the other person, and help him or her to suffer less, you have to understand your own suffering. You have to learn how to listen to your suffering. without fear, because many of us are afraid of of going home to ourselves and listen to the suffering inside, because they they are afraid that uh, they be overwhelmed by the suffering. So most of us try to do the opposite, running away, covering up the suffering by the way of consumption. Listen to the music, find something to eat, have a conversation, go to the internet, do everything in order not to touch the suffering inside. But a good practitioner does the opposite. He goes home to himself and recognizes the suffering and embraces it. And he is not afraid of being overwhelmed because he knows how to generate the energy of mindfulness. Without mindfulness, you are overwhelmed by your pain. But with mindfulness, you are stronger. With the energy of mindfulness, you recognize the pain and you embrace it. You play the role of a mother holding the baby. The pain in you is your baby. You have to be there for your baby. You cannot pretend that your baby is not there. You have to go back and take care of the baby in you.
the practice of uh, looking deeply and listening deeply is the basic uh, practice of meditation. To meditate is to have the time to look deeply in whatever is there and to listen deeply to it. And in this case, what you listen to, what you look deeply into is your own suffering. And you discover the second noble truth. You have understood your suffering. And when you have understood your suffering, you are not angry anymore. You are not angry at yourself. Because many of us are angry at ourselves. We cannot accept ourselves. And we cannot accept other people. When you cannot accept yourself, how can you accept the other person? So that kind of uh, looking deeply and listening deeply to your own suffering brings about understanding. And understanding always brings about compassion. Understanding what? Understanding suffering. Suppose you look at him and you see the suffering in him. He has suffered a lot. And he did not know how to handle the suffering. No one has told him how to take care of his suffering and transform his suffering. So he continues to suffer and he makes people around him suffer. Even if he does not want to make them suffer, he makes them suffer anyway. So he is the victim of his own suffering. The first victim, and you are only the second victim. If you have the time, you will look in that person and recognize the suffering, the enormous suffering in him or in her. And you can see that uh, that person is helpless. She or he does not know how to handle the suffering. And you, who, is, who are a practitioner, you know how to recognize and embrace your suffering, but he cannot, does not know. So when you look and you listen, and if you understand the suffering in him or her, understanding arises. Understanding of suffering arises. And suddenly you are not angry at him anymore. Because you have seen and understood the suffering in him. That person needs help and not punishment. Instead of having anger, you have compassion. And you begin to look at him or her with compassion. And that is why the practice of looking deeply and listening deeply to understand suffering is very important. It generates the energy of compassion, and compassion can heal. 
But when you have understood your own suffering, you suffer less. And when you look at him or her, you understand the suffering in him or her much more easily. So understand our own suffering helps us to understand more easily the suffering of the other person. That is the rule. If you are a psychotherapist, you know that you have to understand the suffering of uh, your clients. But if you have not understood your own suffering, how can you understand well the suffering of the other person, your client? So a psychotherapist has to practice listening to himself and herself and suffer less and learn to get enough joy and happiness every day to nourish himself or herself in order to continue to help other people suffer less. So a psychotherapist has to practice to nourish himself or herself uh, to transform him, her suffering and him, his suffering in order to do the, to, to help uh, uh, the other people. Otherwise, he cannot go very far. Sometimes <laughs> he will break down <laughs> because you cannot help other people if you don't know how to help yourself. So mindfulness is a practice that helps us not only to nourish ourselves with daily joy and happiness, but also help us to handle suffering, to help us understand in suffering and suffer less. And dear friends, this is important to hear. If you know how to suffer, you suffer much less. And a good practitioner has to learn how to suffer. Of course, we know how to create happiness and joy, but we also learn how to suffer. And how to suffer is taught by the Buddha. Stay there with your suffering. Recognize it, embrace it, listening to it. And you can calm it down and you suffer less. And the second thing is equally important. The first thing is, if you know how to suffer, you suffer less. You are not overwhelmed by suffering like other people. The second thing is that if you know how to handle suffering, you can transform suffering into something more positive. It's like the way we we grow lotus flowers. The mud is what you need in order to feed the lotus flowers. You cannot plant, grow lotus flowers on, on dry on uh, on marble you have to grow it in the mud the mud symbolizes suffering and happiness symbolizes the lotus in fact there is a deep connection between suffering and happiness without mud there is no lotus without suffering no happiness is possible And when you 
know how to say yes and to and to appreciate what is positive because you have suffered. If you have gone through a war, you know how to appreciate peace. If you have gone through uh, hunger, you can easily appreciate uh, having something to eat every day. And that is why to say yes to appreciate You need a background of suffering. If uh, the electricity is cut for several days, you suffer. <laughs> and when the electricity is restored, you are happy. Right? Because uh, uh, that happiness is... Uh, is uh, Recognize against the background of suffering. But if uh, if the power is not is not cut, and you have electricity every day, you will not appreciate electricity. So appreciating water, electricity, uh, your eyes, your lungs become more easily when you when you compare it with the, the time you suffer. Your suffering is a background that helps uh, us to, to recognize better the conditions of happiness that we, are, that we have now. In, in the Buddhist tradition, this is very important. You cannot take suffering out of happiness. And you cannot take happiness out of suffering. It's like this sheet of paper. You have the recto and the verso, the left and the right. The left can only be the left. The right can only the right, right? But in fact, that if there is no left, there is no right. You cannot take the right out of the left, the left out of the right. And suffering and happiness are the same. Because you know suffering, that is why you can be happy. Both suffering and happiness are impermanent. And if uh, we know how we can transform suffering back into happiness. And if we don't know how to maintain happiness, it will become suffering very soon. Suppose uh, if, uh, two persons love each other very much. Their love is beautiful. Their love uh, brings them a lot of uh, fulfillment, happiness. But as uh, if they are not practitioners, they would know how to to nourish their love, to maintain their love for a long time. They don't know to feed their love. And love is impermanent as everything else. 
the Buddha said that nothing can survive without food. Your love also needs food in order to continue. So as lovers, you have to know how to feed your love every day. Otherwise, your love will die and become something else like uh, anger, hate, despair. The lotus become the mud. The flower become the garbage. And we have seen many couples in that situation. Love turning into hate and despair. But if you are a practitioner, you are not despair. You know how to make use of the garbage, of uh, the mud to nourish flower again. Because um, flower and garbage into our suffering and happiness into our without this the other cannot be. This is a very deep teaching in the Buddhist tradition. There is a deep connection between suffering and happiness. And if you think that these two things are different, you try to, to leave something behind and run after something else, you can never get it. You think that you don't need suffering, you only need happiness. You try to run away from suffering. You try to run after happiness. That is, uh, that is um, not a correct thing to do. Because happiness can be found in <coughs> suffering. Lotus flowers can be obtained with the mud. So the, practice, the practitioner of mindfulness know how to generate a feeling of joy, a feeling of happiness, but he knows how to handle, how to suffer, how to handle a painful feeling, a painful emotions. And he knows how to suffer. That is why he suffers less. He knows how to transform the mud into the lotus. Something like anger, fear, division, hate, can be used as the mud in order to nourish the flower, the lotus. So the two, two aspects of practice always go together, the practice of joy, happiness, and the practice of suffering. Remember, if you know how to suffer, you suffer less, much less. That is the art of suffering. And you can go further. Not only you suffer less, but you can make good use of suffering in order to make happiness. And we can speak about the goodness of suffering. The goodness of suffering. Suffering is helpful. If you have suffered, that's not in vain. If you have some suffering in you, that is good also. It can serve as a background so that you can recognize happiness. And if you know how to, you can make good use of that suffering in order to, 
to be for it to become the food to nourish your happiness. You should say yes to the sunshine outside and enjoy walking meditation together. We can bring our suffering with us. We don't have to let it uh, home. We can bring the suffering with us, and we embrace it with uh, mindfulness. And why we can touch the wonders of life and say yes to the blue sky, to the sunshine, to the many flowers that are blooming on our path. We should learn how to be happy. We should learn how to suffer. And this is possible today. And if we do that, well, we will help, be able to help the other person to suffer less and to enjoy life also. Can I